This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 57, Comic Reviews for the week of February the 27th. Welcome on back to the show. It's Comic Shenanigans episode 57. We're looking at comic reviews for the week of February the 27th, and I am your host, Adam Chapman. Thanks once again for joining us for the show. Um, so this week, uh, a fair bit of comics came out. Uh, let's just jump right into it. So this is the last week of February that we're looking at. Um, yeah, a lot of books that came out. Uh, I actually did pretty well. I think this week, uh, capturing as many of them as possible, and as you'll notice, we're finally going up once again on a Sunday, which... Uh, usually this episode, the comic reviews episode, I try to get it up on on uh, Sundays, but there have been a few weeks in the recent history that it's going uh, gone up on a Monday instead. So I'm glad that this episode is going up on time. Um, for those looking forward to next episode, even though we're not even done this one yet, uh, episode 58 will be uh, a talking video games episode. That'll be March 6th, and as I'll be ho- joined by my uh, frequent co-host. Uh, Nathan Struck, as well as my special guest, uh, Leon Arlada, who's usually, has made a few appearances on the Talking Hero Clicks episodes in the past. I think he's been on three podcasts in the past. Uh, and then uh, next week on, I guess, March the 10th, we'll have uh, the Comic Reviews episode for March the week of March 6th. That'll be episode 59. And then episode 60 will be a Talking Movies episode, where I'll be once again joined by Nathan Struck, his lovely wife, Amber Struck, as well as my brother-in-law, Paul Scorez. And we will go through... Uh, basically comic uh, slash fantasy slash science fiction movies that came out in 2012 uh, kind of shutting the door in 2012 and looking forward to the same genre but what, what movies are coming up in that genre for 2013 so it should be some good stuff so that's the, the upcoming episode so I'm really excited about a lot of that stuff um, usually as our even numbered episodes are the ones that are more of a special event kind of podcast where we talk about you know hero clicks video games uh, movies whatever comic talk uh, we look at book of the month that kind of stuff so it's the uh, the odd episodes are the uh, the regularly scheduled comic review episodes so speaking of let's get right into it uh this week the first book we have up for review is aquaman number 17 this was a very solid read, uh, obviously coming off of the heels of Justice League number 17, which was the last installment of the Throne of Atlantis storyline. This is the epilogue, kind of setting up the new status quo for Aquaman. Uh, extremely strong, uh, really enjoyable, really, really good stuff. Um, really kind of all the way through, but that's not really a surprise. I mean, Aquaman has been a solid read since it was kind of launched, and uh, I'm excited to see where... Jeff Johns takes the character now that this uh, Throne of Atlantis storyline is over. Um, so I'm glad that the Throne of Atlantis wasn't just kind of a, uh, a, a sales boost concept between the two books, but instead it actually means something, and we're actually getting a, a pretty big change to the status quo. So uh, this was extremely well done. Uh, as I said, Jeff Johns wrote it. Uh, artwork in this issue is by uh, Paul Pelletier, who I've enjoyed since his run on Negation back in the very early 2000s. Uh, extremely talented penciler. Uh, he's inked by Sean Parsons with colors by Rob Rice. Uh, you have Aquaman kind of embracing the aftermath of what happened in, um, in Throne of Atlantis, and now he's kind of taking his post once more and dealing with the after effects of that and how uh, basically trying he's dealing with a much more hostile universe now. Uh, his interactions with Amanda Waller are pretty interesting as well. Uh, Mira is not quite sure what she's going to be doing as well. Um, really, really cool. I like this. It worked well, functioned well as an epilogue episode or issue, setting up the kind of the new status quo, 
really enjoyable. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, next up is Avengers Arena number 5. Now, this book, uh, those who've listened to the podcast previously, and I've talked about it, is uh, what I find to be extremely... I hate the concept. I hate everything about it. But they, some of the actual issues have been fairly well done, which I kind of find more frustrating because I don't want to like them. Uh, Dennis Hopeless wrote it with uh, work by Brad Walker. Um, not, I still don't know how I feel about that that Deathlock uh, name for uh, the, basically the Deathlock character, but it's a little girl. Um, sorry, I was wrong. It wasn't Brad Walker. It's Kev Walker on art. Um, it's not a bad read. It's, this issue felt a lot less important in terms of like you're you're getting I don't I guess I just don't know where the series is going like you have these kind of character spotlights but at the same time I feel like the book has to the book shouldn't be that long the book should be like a mini series like it, I think it should be a little bit more fast paced action and yes you have characterization and that's fine too but it just feels really slow and I'm not trying to read a novel like I know that some comic writers they like the slow burn. They like to kind of put it together like a novel. But at the end of the day, I'm this is serialized entertainment. I wanted to get a little bit more bang for my buck. Uh, I understand that like it's got a kind of good story to it. I just wish there was a little bit more uh, follow, not follow through, but more kind of progression. Uh, the kid Britain character is kind of interesting, but again, there's I don't know how I feel about it. Just and I like Cammy. I don't know. This book just makes me frustrated because. I don't want to like it. I admit that right up. I think that the concept is flawed and terrible, and I don't like anything that's basically we're going to kill off a bunch of characters, and not only that, they're all kids. I don't like that at all. I don't like that we're just kind of moving on from characters that we've killed because, I mean, Darkhawk dying was frustrating and upsetting for fans of the character, especially the character's interactions as part of the cosmic world uh, under the um, the guidance of uh, Dan Abbott and Andy Lanning. So I gave this a 7 out of 10. It wasn't a bad read by any means. Um, it just is a frustrating read in many other ways. Uh, next up is Avenging Spider-Man number 17. I actually really like this because um, I feel like uh, Yost... First of all, it's helpful that this book has a consistent creative team. That's the big thing. Uh, the second thing is that uh, Yost is having more fun with the concept of Spider-Man doing a team-up because this isn't the Spider-Man we know or have known and loved. It's now the Doc Ock version of Spider-Man. And I think that is part of what makes the team-ups much more enjoyable because they do feel new. They do feel more exciting because they aren't something we've done before. Plus, again, having a regular writer make grounds it in the current continuity in a way that the other issues that were written previously, they just kind of felt out of place. Like, you could take it or leave it, You could, which is kind of nice about the book, admittedly. You want to be able to kind of pick up an issue and drop it if you don't like it and what have you. But at the same time, you want to feel like there's a reason to pick up the book on a consistent basis, at least from a business standpoint, you'd, you'd think so. Uh, this is a really good read. You have Doc Ock joining the... Uh, He's basically spends a day with the, the Future Foundation when the replacement Fantastic Four have to go uh, save the day. So he's kind of taking care of the kids. Death's Head in a, uh, shows up and you have the Time Variance Authority. This is a really fun kind of science fiction story. Uh, I really like the concepts. I uh, really liked how Doc Ock was being portrayed here, which is relatively consistent with how he's being portrayed by Slot in Superior Spider-Man. I like that... Uh, it looks like Sandman is maybe going to be resurrected or brought back in more of a, a full manner. Um, this is actually just really good fun. Uh, and I guess that's kind of, at times, what's missing about Superior Spider-Man is that there's a little less fun because it's a little darker. The tone here is a little bit lighter and it's having a bit more fun. And also it's interesting that Spider-Man, like the Peter Parker 
Ghost doesn't show up. And I think that actually speaks a lot to the nature of the two books, that Superior Spider-Man is much more... It's almost frustrating because you keep seeing Peter Parker basically like just complaining and being like, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that. And it gets kind of old, whereas here it's just awk. And I don't know, the, the tone seemed lighter and it was a bit more fun. Uh, as I said, it was written by Christopher Yost with artwork by Paco Medina. Clean artwork, um, fun sensibilities. I gave it a, an 8 out of 10. It was a fun and enjoyable read, uh, which was much appreciated. Um, next up is the, kind of the, the big book of the week, for sure. I mean, Monday, every, this kind of got spoiled, and it's it's amazing that as I'm recording this, it's only been, it's only Sunday, and so it's only been seven days since, since the, everything was kind of confirmed, but uh, it's amazing how quickly the news cycles almost moved on from it because there's been so many like if you go to if you're a fan of newsarama or some sites like that they've had like articles every day about this what am i talking about well i'm talking about the death of robin uh damian wayne was killed off in batman incorporated number eight um it sounds okay when it comes to the death of a character who's who's who has clones in his history especially even in this issue killed by the hands of a clone um it makes you wonder if um, if it's actually permanent, because I mean, a newsarama sometimes has been known to collude with the companies. Um, this has happened in the past. I mean, so I, I, for marketing purposes, etc. I, I wonder if this is actually permanent or not, and that makes me a little bit more wary. Because if it's permanent, then like you know, good job. Um, I do feel like Grant Morrison felt like he could kill Damien because that was always his kind of his end point. Uh, with the character, but at the in the meantime, Peter Damasi got to start writing him, and I think that's the big difference for me. Is that, I mean, it, Grant Morrison hasn't written Damian Wayne the best. Uh, I don't find his version necessarily the best version of Damian Wayne. I find that Peter J. Damasi has written a, a spectacular version of that character, especially in his interactions with uh, with Dick Grayson, and I really like how they interact together. That that's what kind of makes me more sad about seeing Damian potentially actually be dead. Um, this is, so this issue is written by, as I said, Grant Morrison with artwork by uh, Jason Masters for art art on pages six to nine, and Chris Burnham is the artist. Otherwise, um, a very strong, enjoyable book. Like this book has been really strong and some of the most, in some ways, straightforward of any books that Grant Morrison's ever written because there's just a lot of action beats and it's really smooth. Um, I just it was and there's a lot of kind of pop art kind of uh, influences as well. Uh, seeing Damien and uh, fight his clone, um, really really good stuff. That last page, extremely strong uh, and emotional. The artwork is really what sells the book because it's so solid. Uh, it's, it's this the artwork's better than the story in a lot of ways, but I like that this. It definitely felt like this was Damien's last hurrah. Like it didn't necessarily feel like a big surprise because all the way through it kind of felt like this this is going to happen um and like seeing dick Grayson and uh damien teaming up one last time was actually kind of awesome and uh i kind of like that you know that that they, they're an awesome team and that uh and I, even having damien say you know so I'd, so far i'd say you've been my favorite partner we were the best richard no matter what anyone thinks like that's kind of awesome and then just having nightwing then say hey we can't help being great and just it felt like um, I really like that relationship because it's easy to kind of forget that, you know, Dick was Batman. Um, and I like that the idea that him and, and Robin really did have a really fascinating working relationship. In, in some ways, it was more interesting than 
Bruce Wayne's relationship with his own son because they have they're actually family, so that it kind of feels a little bit more played out in some ways. Whereas in the other case, you have basically the first adopted son taking care of the blood son and uh, and training him and trying to be honor the memory of their mutual father. It was kind of which is kind of fascinating. Uh, overall, though, this was a really solid read. I gave it an eight out of ten. Uh, next up is Batman Incorporated number. Uh, sorry, I just did that. Batman Dark Knight number seventeen. Uh, I found this to be extremely frustrating. Uh, not because it was bad read. It, it, it feels, and I, I think I said this the last time I reviewed one of these issues. It just feels really slow. It's really slow paced. Like it's great stuff, but it takes forever to get there. It's written by Greg Hurwitz with artwork by Ethan Van Skyver. Not the greatest Van Skyver artwork. There's some panels in here which are just spectacular, but then there's also some shots that look so rushed and they just they don't quite look right. Um, there, you get a little bit of uh, Jervis Touch's um, uh, his life story, which is kind of interesting, and I like that. I just, it's not that anything in this issue was bad. It's just that it felt a little drawn out and a little. I feel like we've had two issues, and maybe this, like this, could have already been done. Like we're about to head into a third issue, and I don't necessarily think that was necessary. Uh, that being said, really, really strongly written. Um, I cannot like I a lot of the bat books like there are so many of them but so many of them are so well written the artwork as I said is spectacular it's a lot of it is centered on uh, Matt Hatter's origin uh, Batman kind of figuring out there's a weird part with Batman and Commissioner Gordon which I'm not really sure how to how to take what to take from it um, with Gordon kind of being this is where you disappear and they turns around and Batman's still there and it just kind of felt out of place I don't know I I don't understand the the need for that panel because I it just felt little awkward and unnecessary because if it felt like there was a reason for that like there have been times in the past where uh gordon thinks that batman's left and turned around and still there but usually it's because it's a replacement batman different rhythms etc like that happened during nightfall with uh Azrael bats uh where he'd be like he's still there listening to him talk so it just kind of felt awkward because there was no real purpose to that moment yet it was still incorporated in there and i don't know why uh i gave it an eight out of ten Next up is FF number four. You know, I didn't want to like this, and that's partially because I'm not a huge fan of Albert's artwork, and I don't know. But at the end of the day, like, I love the sensibility of this book as much as I almost don't want to. Uh, and I appreciate that Matt Fraction has made both books feel so different. It's kind of like like uh, when both books were existing during Hickman's run. You had one, they were telling well, basically two different sides of the same story or elements of, that would coalesce into a great, grander narrative. But... Uh, FF felt so different because you had the kids and it was dealing with the bridge and then you had uh, the Fantastic Four book which was dealing with the kind of the war that was happening above New York City at the time so now you have both teams that are completely separated by like universes and dimensions and you have uh, this new replacement FF taking over the, the FF book and uh, taking care of the future foundation uh, this is written by Matt Fraction with artwork by Michael Alred with colors by Laura Alred um, this is just extremely fun I mean in this issue, you have um, the Molloy kids. They love the Jen. Uh, like they obviously love the Ben, but now they're, they've really come to love the the Jen. Um, and they don't like that she's going on a date with White Wingfoot, so they enlist the services of Bentley Twenty Three. And uh, everything seems to go wrong in terms of their plan. Instead, they instead of making it a horrible uh, evening, they end up making it a fantastic evening for um, White Wingfoot and She Hulk. Um, so that was kind of fun. Uh, 
Also, the idea there's something maybe possibly creepy happening here with Medusa and the wizard, and that's kind of interesting, or Bentley 23, and that's kind of interesting as well because uh, it's easy to forget that she was originally a member of the Frightful Four with the wizard. Um, and I completely forgot about that, and then I was like, oh, I actually like that there might be something going on here. Uh, she might have a, like a plan of some court. Something is obviously up. Um, but I dug this a lot. I gave it a 9 out of 10. It was extremely fun. Uh, next up is The Flash number 17. Uh, I feel like this book finally kind of got to the point a little. Um, uh, it, this is the finale of Guerrilla Warfare. I'm not saying I don't like the book. First of all, Francis Manipole is a brilliant, brilliant artist. Uh, Brian Bruchelato is a great colorist. The story is not bad. Uh, it's not the strongest Flash stories I've ever read. Um, this issue definitely felt a little bit more we're kind of putting a, a pin in the last year and a half and hopefully being able to move forward because I mean a lot of plot elements have been here for a while with Turbine and the Rogues and the Gorillas and uh, Iris being trapped in time and Patty not having been separated from Barry Allen uh, Barry Allen having quote unquote been dead um, so here we're finally getting kind of a resolution to the last year and a half and then also we're getting uh, the first kind of glimpse at the new reverse flash um, not a bad read again it just feels a little prolonged that it took us this long to get to this point but it was still good I gave it a 7 out of 10 uh, the artwork is brilliant so it's more like I gave the artwork maybe an 8 and the story maybe a 6 uh, it kind of averaged out at a 7 uh, next up is Gambit number 9 uh, this book is frustrating as all hell uh, it's both good and bad all at the same time and it can't really decide what it wants to be um, this issue written by James Asmus with artwork by Clay Mann um, I really like the artwork this kind of felt a little bit more like we're getting back to what we wanted this title to potentially be even have Gambit in his old school costume when he's going into this, cl- this club and the only way to get in there is by if, you have a, if you're on a most wanted list and he is currently in there internationally as he's uh, hunting for the girl from the first few issues, Joelle uh, some excellent excellent parts with uh, Tombstone and with um, Oh, what's his name? Beatrox Z. Leeper. Uh, you know, I, I maybe I was a little too hard on it when I first read it because usually the way I do this is I read read all the books, I rate them as I uh, as I read them, and then I kind of end up doing like basically reading like ten to fifteen books at a time, and they all kind of jumble together. And then when I do these episodes, I kind of go back and look at flipping through and seeing like did this still warrant the review the rating I gave it and I'm like you know what maybe I like this more than I gave it credit for I give it a 7 out of 10 again part of that's the snarkiness of the script having Batrox Z Leaper there uh the interaction with Gambit and uh, that part was kind of fun um so it definitely was interesting uh as I said 7 out of 10 now uh next up is Guardians of the Galaxy point one uh okay I'm not a huge I don't my, I guess my problem with Guardians of the Galaxy and with Nova is that I was a huge fan of the DNA uh, era, and after Thanos Imperative, it was kind of over, and then you had Annihilation, sorry, Annihilators and Annihilators Earthfall, but now we're getting, ever since Bendis wrote Avengers Assemble, he brought back the Guardians of the Galaxy, but he didn't really explain a lot, uh, especially because he brought back Star-Lord, and he had Star-Lord acting and looking in ways that he didn't before, and that kind of bothers me. Um, just because I was such a huge fan of where those characters were, and then this just feels like Bendis kind of ignoring part of continuity to do what he wants. That being said, this is a very strong, solid uh, origin story for Peter Quill. Uh, it still doesn't explain a lot, though, in terms of 
Uh, it's very, Peter Quill's very beginnings, and doesn't really explain how he became Star Lord at all, or, or how he stopped going by the name Star Lord, how he became just kind of went by Peter Quill, and how he eventually led the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I'm hoping that there'll be a resolution at some point to what the hell happened when he was stuck in the Cancerverse with Rich Rider, uh, because the Nova Corps shouldn't even be able to exist, and yet. Obviously, Sam Alexander is able to be Nova, and he doesn't seem to have the Nova, Nova Force that we've seen. So I am hoping that we're going to get a resolution to these stories or these questions that are being that are arising because of the characters that they've decided to end up using. Uh, I still gave it an 8 out of 10, though, because Bendis writes a fairly compelling script, and uh, Steve McNevin does brilliant artwork. I'm wondering if he'll be able to consistently... Uh, deliver issues on time because he's not the most timely of artists but so far so good 8 out of 10 I don't know why this couldn't have just been a 0 issue or why this has to be 0.1 it's a stupid numbering thing but that's all that Marvel seems to like sometimes uh, next up is Hawkeye number 8 once again one of the best books on the shelves this is a 9 out of 10 every way every which way possible uh, it's just a lot of fun um, yeah there's just nothing about this that isn't a fun book uh, this is Matt Fraction and David Aja. Uh, Matt Hollingsworth on artwork. Um, I like how the story was kind of portrayed. There's with the the old school kind of uh, mystery girl comic covers. Um, brilliant artwork. I like that Hawkeye is kind of getting again once again getting involved, or probably he shouldn't. He's doing kind of dumb things and kind of being involved in uh, violent situations that he probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> just really just stepping in it as much as possible and uh, I really like that a lot just because it feels like he's just such a screw up uh, but I dig that um, I also like that at the end where you have kind of Kingpin and Mr. Negative, Type of Mary, all these kind of people together and you have these weird sweat, sweater mafias just hanging out there talking bros um, 8 out of 10, sorry 9 out of 10 all the way fantastically entertaining if you haven't been reading Hawkeye you're really missing out it's so much fun it's one of the best looking comics I've ever read uh, David Aja just he, he's changed his style for this book but it's, just, it's, it's it feels like a 80's Daredevil but in a 70's style if that makes any sense because it kind of feels like the 70's in terms of what I've been uh, kind of learned what the 70's I think would be based on you know movies etc like that like certain look and feel but again also feeling like Daredevil Born Again in terms of the uh, David Masticelli or Masticelli um, inspired artwork uh, that's the I guess one of the ways I describe the art uh, extremely enjoyable 9 out of 10 all the time. Uh, next up is Punisher Warzone, and that's also uh, let's say it's number five. It's the last issue in the miniseries. Extremely entertaining. Now, obviously, with based on the, the ending, doesn't mean it isn't worth salt or it isn't worth a lick of salt or whatever kind of metaphors or sayings you want to use. Because at the end of the day, the ending doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they they apprehend Punisher because we know he's already out in Thunderbolts. Like it, it doesn't really make a difference. But uh, this issue is all sorts of fun, written by Greg Rucka, artwork by Carmine DJ Domenico, who apparently was only the artist because uh, Marco Cicchito was unavailable. I love Marco Cicchito, don't get me wrong, but man, uh, Domenico does such a brilliant job on the artwork here. And the story is so strong, and I love that the, the Punisher is this smart, and I love that it plays out the fact that like at the end of the day, Iron Man is very cocky. Um, and he kind of puts himself in a situation sometimes where he doesn't need to. Uh, I like the idea that that Punisher is still work, kind of working with uh, Wolverine, and Wolverine kind of has his own view on things, which is very interesting, and I like that. Um, 
Punisher is extremely he's a great planner but at the end of the day he can't win but he just needs to succeed long enough and uh, he's just fascinating this was so much fun to read it was a a great you know a great mission that uh, Punisher had Uh, I'm sad that we don't get more of this version of the character because um, Greg Greca has understood the character in ways that no one else really has. Playing up his his military background as a marine and running every op like a mission, like we haven't quite seen him be this methodical and this um, oh, I can't think of the word, but having this much discipline. Like I really liked your um, the run by Recommender until he became Frankencastle. But even there, like he was a little bit more loose and off the cuff whereas here he, he runs things much more smoothly and tightly and you see that he is one of the best strategists and tacticians in the Marvel Universe like he goes up against people sometimes where he, that he really has no business going up against and yet he's able to survive and actually uh, press the attack and do well uh, because he, he plans so brilliantly and he's able to anticipate uh, his opponent's responses he is one of the most fascinating characters in the Marvel Universe when written correctly and that is how Greg Rucker writes him uh, so I gave that a 9 out of 10 as well immensely entertaining uh, next up is Red Lanterns number 17 again I've said in the past that I didn't read the first the kind of almost year of this book but I've been reading it since uh, Peter Milligan wrote this with artwork by Miguel Sepulveda uh, fantastic artwork I really dug the look here was so good like the artwork fantastic like the colorist um, I just gave it just just the right look as well the inks like this is just a fantastic looking book it's so smooth it looks great um also I like that this issue wasn't as dominated by the first lantern doing his whole uh, I can see through time I can see, this is how things would be if I slightly changed elements of your past that he did in the issues of uh uh, Green Lantern Corps and New Guardians that came out uh, a week, week, week or two ago. Uh, here, this is much more about, uh, first of all, the Earth, Lan- Earth Red Lantern and Blee's kind of watching how that's progressing and also about Atrocitus and how he's kind of found the heart of the of the Guardians and where all the emotion has been stored. Uh, really enjoyable. Uh, 8.5 out of 10. Fantastic artwork. Much stronger script than I am used to seeing in this book. Uh, very good. Very good. Uh, next up is this Savage Hawkman number seventeen. Uh, the last few issues have been a lot more entertaining than this. Uh, the artwork is still by Joe Bennett, so I mean that's one thing going for it. But this is definitely not the work, best work by Joe Bennett, and I'm not really sure w- what that is. Part of it's just the clunkiness of the costume that he's. I think he's coming up against some issues in terms of how to illustrate it. Um, also, I think the colors are a little bit off sometimes. It's almost like the uh, the gauntlets and stuff shine too much. I like the idea that we have the new Shadow Thief, though, so that's kind of cool. we got Tom DeFalco writing our work, as I said, by Joe Bennett. Um, the issue just kind of felt like it plotted along more than, like, there's a lot more uh, excessive dialogue, and uh, I don't know, I just feel like, and even the uh, the internal monologues were a little bit over the top, even for them. Uh, so I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. It was not nearly as entertaining as the last few issues have been, but it was still not bad, by any means. Um... Next up is Talon number five. This is a book that seems like it was really high. It was on a high, and then this issue kind of brought it down a little. Uh, it's co-written by Scott Snyder and James Tiny in the fourth, uh, with art by Guillaume March. I'm not quite sold on Guillaume March as an artist, but for the most part, this is pretty good stuff. Um, uh, I do. I don't know. There's certain aspects of this that are really fantastic, 
And then there's parts that aren't so good, but isn't that really the way it is with any book? Uh, Guillaume March's artwork is definitely not the strongest that it's been here. I like the idea that the talent from last issue is kind of wants is hunting um, Calvin Rose down, so that part's kind of cool. And uh, seeing kind of what the mission is kind of neat as well. Uh, it's just something about it didn't quite work for me. Like it had all the the uh, the building blocks, but it didn't quite nail, it didn't quite st- stick the landing. So I gave it a um, a 7 out of 10 because it wasn't a bad read but it didn't quite feel as good as it could have been something was missing and to be honest I can't even put my finger on exactly what that was um, next up is Teen Titans number 17 Ugh, um, this book was more interesting when it was part of Death of the Family this is now a recap issue uh, it's written by uh, I guess uh, Scott Lobdell did the plots is uh, actually uh, scripted by Fabian Nicisa. Uh the artwork is by uh, let me just uh I'm just pulling up the issue as we speak. Uh, my apologies. Uh, the artwork is by Eddie Barrows. I really like the artwork. Really nice line work. I'm glad that it wasn't uh, Brett Booth. Um, I just don't like how uh, how he illustrates uh, Tim Drake, actually. I think everything else kind of worked. And Tim Drake didn't even feel like himself here. He felt a little bit more like a dick. And kind of coming on to two different girls in one evening... I don't know. Something about this was not quite right. I thought, like, obviously you have Tim Drake going through post-traumatic distress. Post-traumatic stress? Post-traumatic distress. What is that? Um, but I just didn't feel like it was a, a, a strong characterization for the character. And he, this is all he has in terms of a starring vehicle. He doesn't have his own book anymore. So I want the character to be written properly and appropriately. And I just felt like it was kind of off here. Uh, and then the art on his face didn't quite look right either. It's a, almost as if Barrows doesn't know how to illustrate him without the mask. Um, and that's an issue. Uh, not usually because it's weird that he's got no mask and no one knows who he is and he hasn't told anyone. That ugh, that was just frustrating. Uh, overall, though, I gave the book a 6.5 out of 10. Uh, it's been a lot better in recent issues and hopefully it'll get back there soon. Uh, next up is Thunderbolts number 5. Uh, I gave this a 6 out of 10. It has a ridiculous ending that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, uh, which is basically... Uh, the Frank Castle and Electra are just deciding, you know what? We've been in the middle of a battle. We've narrowly survived. We've saved each other's lives. Uh, Punisher's uh, wounded. Um, Electra's, you know, obviously had her own injuries as well. Let's make out. That makes sense. Um, the Red Hulk doesn't even show up here. You have uh, a weird character, Mercy. Uh, you have, uh, I don't know, just a lot of things are happening, but it doesn't look that good. Um, the artwork by Steve Dillon is just not good at all, or at least personally not all that enjoyable. I just want this book to be better than it is, and so far it hasn't gotten there. Um, and I think a lot of that is the artwork. The story isn't necessarily awful. Um, I think the story is maybe a seven, uh, but the artwork is like a three or something. Like that's how kind of how I feel about it, um, which kind of averages out to. I was originally going to give it a six, but I'm flipping through it now. I'm like, you know what? I didn't like this all that much. Um, the artwork is it's just not the right fit. I'm, I'm not even coming down on Steve Dillon as an artist in general because there are certain parts where I'm sure in different books with different sensibilities that maybe his artwork is more appropriate, but it does not fit an action-packed book like Thunderbolts. Uh, he can't nail certain... Uh, there's certain action uh, in here that's being indicated in the script that he's just not able to nail correctly. Um, and you can kind of tell what he's going for, but he doesn't in any way manage to succeed. Um, so the artwork is a real detriment, and the script is not the best script I've ever read, but it's definitely better than this artwork. So I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. I just I just don't understand. Like, And, and plus, where the hell is Red Hulk? Where did he go? 
Um, next up is Uncanny Avengers number four. This is a consistently frustrating book. Uh, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. It's by Cassidy and uh, Rick Remender. Not the best script Rick Remender's ever written, although I have to admit this issue is a lot more enjoyable than the first three. Um, but I don't, I'm not a huge fan of this version of the Red Skull that he's using, which is an over-the-top Jack Kirby-ish version. Uh, the artwork by uh, oh, John Cassidy is not nearly up to snuff. Like This is not his best work by any stretch of the imagination like he's a better artist than this and yet i don't see that anywhere here i don't see that represented at all um it just looks sloppy it looks rushed and it is rushed because i mean he he's the book was severely delayed and this is still the best artwork we're getting um in the background you may hear sirens so i apologize there you might have heard talking earlier as well uh where i am in my in my uh, home uh obviously we're not that far from a road where there's sometimes emergency vehicles going by as well as sometimes be, uh, people walking by outside that are kind of loud so i apologize if any of that really carried forward um what really bothered me about this issue though is uh the after after the letters page you have the three months later and you have kind of a days of future past style uh, although there actually already was a, another panel like that in the issue um, of Havoc in front of uh, the very classic element. But once again, we're getting an idea that something is happening with Immortus, something to do with the Apocalypse Twins, and then we're also getting the sense that uh, now uh, there's a new Onslaught, and Onslaught has the Red Skull's face, and he's standing in front of uh, Professor Xavier's body, but still has that weird cut off, uh, the top of his head cut off. Um, don't like this. Like, this book is not... I don't like it all that much. Well, we finally have a name for this squad. It's basically the Avengers Unity Squad, which is really that's the best you can come up with. Um, if I want to read an Avengers book, I'll read New Avengers or, or Avengers by Hickman. Uh, those are solid Avengers feeling books. This is a book that it's a modernization of X Men and Avengers, and they're taking concepts. and I, I like that. I like the onslaught uh, uh, elements, and I like the character somewhat, and I like the, the legacy of the of the storyline, but the last time we saw, last couple times we've seen a, uh, Onslaught, hasn't been all that good or enjoyable, so I'd rather we stay away from the character. Also, I don't like this Red Skull perverted version of of, Cyclo- uh, sorry, of uh, Professor X, and how the hell does he even get the Cyclops armor, sorry, I keep saying all the wrong words, how the hell he even gets the Onslaught armor, so I just, I don't care, I... Rick Remender, I like him, and I'm glad he's writing a big franchise book, but I just don't really personally enjoy it all that much, where I'd much rather read the bi-weekly Avengers, because that book is worth it every single month. Um, so I gave Uncanny Avengers by Cassidy and Remender a 6.5 out of 10. I'm actually, I'm gonna, actually, I might have said 6, and I'm going to downgrade it to 6. It's a 6 out of 10. I didn't enjoy it all that much. Speaking of books I didn't enjoy all that much, we have Uncanny X-Force number 2. First issue was a lot stronger. This issue does not have that going for it. Um, a lot of it's just some action, and you have a really bizarre version of Bishop show up that I don't like either. I almost feel like the less said, the better. I just didn't I didn't dig this at all. This is uh, Ron Guardian artwork. Oh, I'm not a huge fan of generally, but this... I just I didn't really care for the story. It doesn't help that Uncanny X-Force was so good previously, and now you have Sam Humphreys and Ron Garney doing this. And I had some uh, some hopes, especially after the last issue. Uh, this issue kind of took all those hopes and flushed them down the toilet. I just didn't dig this at all. I, uh, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10, and I'm not really looking forward to the next few issues. Uh, next up is Uncanny X-Men number 2. More books I didn't really like. I'm going to give this also a 6 out of 10. Um, I kind of liked... That you're, 
I don't know, maybe I'm being a little too hard on it. The artwork's not bad, and I like that we're finally getting a little bit more discussion between Cyclops and Emma on their relationship, and it's kind of a post-mortem on that and where they're going to go for, uh, from here going forward. The artwork by Chris Batchelow, though, not as strong as it was in the prior issues. I really hate the look for Magneto. I don't like him being bald. I don't like. I don't even like him wearing the, the white costume. Uh, it just doesn't work for me. I, it doesn't even feel like Magneto at all. Uh, so I don't like that. Uh, the artwork seems rushed, and uh, Scott Summers looks looks aw- awkward, and he just looks like his face is a wrong shape. It kind of reminds me of how he illustrated uh, certain covers from uh, Grant Morrison's run, um, referring obviously to Chris Bachelow. Um, and in the last page, you kind of see that the uh, here come the Avengers, and that's kind of an awkward team shot as well. Um, I just not a big fan of this book. Uh, it has potential, obviously. Um, and the first issue was definitely better than this. It's not nearly as strong as All New X-Men. Um, this one feels a lot more... like There needs to be a little bit more plot, whereas the All New X-Men started out as like 100% plot, and then it built characterization, and it felt great. This book just doesn't quite have that on there yet. I give it a 6 out of 10. That's three, three books. Okay, this is something about Marvel... Uh, not editorial, but I guess marketing or whoever does the release schedules. Don't release Uncanny Avengers, Uncanny X-Force, and Uncanny X-Men all in one day. We do not need three different books. First of all, we don't need three books that have the adjective uncanny. That's that's the first thing. Second of all, we don't need, all need to come out in the same week. That's just r- ridiculous. Um, the next book was X-Men Legacy number six. A lot of these books, actually, the last three, I think, I was originally going to give them all six and a half, but as I'm going through this, I'm realizing I was being a little bit too generous because I didn't want to come down come down that hard, but now that I'm really talking about it out loud, I'm like, no, no, these are six books, if even that. Uh, so X-Men Legacy number six is also a six out of ten. Um, it's a little bit better, but it's still not quite there. I felt like the, the, whole, the whole issue was a little bit uh, prolonged and longer than it needed to be. It's written by Simon Spurrier with artwork by Jorge Molina. Not a big fan of Molina's take on the characters, or at least on Legion. Like, there's certain elements of this that were fine, but ugh, some of it's terrible. I think the aspects where we saw um, the X-Men fighting on the grounds of the uh, Jean Grey School were actually some of the best-looking panels. Uh, but the parts with Legion were usually the parts that were nowhere near as enjoyable. Uh, I do like the sensibility that we're kind of getting the idea that now kind of Xavier is also in Legion's head. I also like that... Um, Blindfold uh, has a kind of a weird connection with uh, Legion as well, so that's kind of interesting. Um, but on the whole, though, I, it's very much a six out of ten kind of book. I'm not sure how much longer I really want to follow up with this. If it wasn't for the podcast, I wouldn't be reading the book. Um, but yeah, six out of ten, and that brings us to the last book of the week, which is Young Avengers number two. So this book is written by um, let's see, Kieran Gillen. And uh, the artwork is by, I believe, Jamie McKelvey. But let me just uh, pull that information up here. Um, I enjoyed this issue a fair bit. It's definitely got a weird indie sensibility to it. It's definitely not the old Young Avengers by any stretch of the imagination. But it's still fairly enjoyable. Um, let's see here. Yeah, it's our artwork is by Jamie McKelvey with Mike Norton. Um, I did enjoy this book. Uh, parts of it didn't quite work for me, but... For the most part, I like uh, you have uh, Hulkling dealing with the fact that his mother's returned from another dimension because Wiccan, Wiccan plucked her out from it. From basically, she's an interdimensional parasite, and uh, other adults don't seem to be able to see what's going on. Um, 
just the kids, so uh, they end up getting trapped in a in a basically a white space box, which is uh, some really fun pages in the issue. And then uh, Kid Loki is able to uh, rescue them and bring them out of it. So that's actually pretty cool stuff. Um, uh, it's a fun read. The team's still not yet put together, but we're definitely moving in the right direction. Uh, I gave this book um, seven out of ten. I mean, it's not a bad read. It's enjoy. Actually, no, I'm going to say seven and a half. It's not quite an eight, but it's pretty damn close. It was a fun read. Uh, so the books I didn't get a chance to talk about this week include All Star Western Seventeen, Astonishing X Men Fifty Nine, Before Watchmen Four, uh, sorry, Doctor Man- Before Watchmen, Doctor Manhattan Number Four, Fury of Firestorm Number Seventeen, I Vampire Seventeen, Journey to Mystery Six Forty Nine, Justice League Dark Seventeen, Ultimate Comics X Men Number Twenty Three, and Extreme X Men Number Eleven. Uh, so that uh, that would uh, pretty much do us for this episode. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, I am Adam Chapman, uh, the host of Comic Shenanigans. Uh, this has been episode number 57, the comic reviews for the week of February the 27th. You can reach us at uh, comicshenanigans at gmail.com if you want to write us an email. Uh, usually I post these episodes on HC Realms, and you can uh, always put a comment there as well. You can like us on Facebook, and hopefully at some point in the future we'll have a Comic Shenanigans app coming. Uh, I'm kind of new to a lot of this type of stuff, so I'm not really sure how to complete it, but I, uh, I'm working on getting an app published through the Google Play Store. Again, I'm not really sure how half of this stuff really works, so I'm working on it. Um, anyways, you can look forward to that in the future, and make sure to look out for our next episode on March 6th, uh, which will be episode 58, the uh, Talking Video Games episode. So thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.